series. Tonight's going to kick off on the life of David. But we're not just going to do the life of David. We're going to take David's life and zone in on a specific area of his life. That is going to be every story in David. We're going to focus in on his struggle. But not the, just the struggle that he had, but the victory that he got over it. You guys have to understand, David's entire life was struggles. Now, to get creative with this, we're not just going to call it David had struggles. So I'm going to teach you guys. How many of you guys are on social media? Raise your hand. Okay, you're on social media. All right, I'm going to guess that's two-thirds of the people in here. Now, I know some people are like, I hate it. I want nothing to do with it. You've got the older generation. Do you guys know that the older generation social media for us, do you guys know what it is for the old people? That, that's us. That, what, you know what our social media is for old people? Facebook. My kids tell me all the time, that's just what old people do, Dad. That, that's not. I just thought Facebook is something that everybody is. So the younger people, they have Instagram and Snapchat and things like that. And then business people usually gravitate towards Twitter and LinkedIn and all those different things. So there's all these different social platforms. And some of it absolutely drives me nuts. I can tell you guys, in the hands of the right people, these things can be good. In the hands of the wrong people, it can be bad. It drives me crazy the same way that it drives you crazy. I don't want to use any social media platform to complain. I, I, I don't want to vent. I don't want to, you know, it just, people just like, blah, 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 like they're arguing that they have negative thoughts and they're going to put it out there for the world to see. You know, I, I, there's just wrong and right that can come with it. But I, I want it to be uh, productive. But within social media, there is something that, and I'm going to explain this, how this ties into the sermon series. There's something out there that is often seen in social media that you, maybe you didn't even know what it was like or what it's about, and that's called a hashtag. How many of you guys know what a hashtag is dealing with social media? A lot less people. All right, so a hashtag is something that is really big part of our culture. It's probably what you guys would call either the tic-tac-toe sign or the pound sign or whatever, but it's a hashtag. It's the lines that cross and form the grid. In social media, if you take a hashtag, it's hashtag something, you put it at the end of it and you put that symbol before it, it means that that titles or that represents what's in the picture or the content, okay? So I'll give you an illustration. I do this all the time. I will post things on the church. I did this one this week, talking about Greater Things Project and the progress that we had. And I talked about getting ready to start the paint. So thankful that all that God has done. And I'm explaining it. And then I hashtagged Big City, title of what it is. Hashtag FBC Columbus. Hashtag Greater Things Project. Hashtag I Love My Church. So all those hashtags kind of identify, it's a bunch of little titles that point to it, but it also does something else. I'm giving you guys an education. You guys, for you guys that don't know this, you'll be able to go out, talk to teenagers, you're going to sound really cool, okay? You're going to be like, I know what a hashtag is. Don't call it a pound sign, make sure it's a hashtag, all right? And so, so then there's, um, it also does something else. When you put a hashtag in front of something, it links everybody else to that that uses the same hashtag. So if I was to click on that hashtag big city, everybody that types in big city picture with that can click on that and see all our pictures that we post, including FBC Columbus. So it links everybody to a specific thing. With that in mind, I said, let's call this David hashtag struggles. You know why? 
Because every one of David's struggles that we're going to come across, we're all going to be like, I identify with that. I know what that's like. I know what it's like for David to go through his life and David was rejected. A lot of you say, I, I know what that's like. Hash, in a sense, and I know, I know you guys aren't going to be, don't, don't go into that. Hashtag struggles. Hashtag rejected. David struggled with his flesh. David struggled with people. David struggled within his family. David struggled with being rejected. David struggled with his brothers. David struggled with self-confidence. David struggled with forgiveness. When he did sin, he said, Lord, my sin is ever before me. Lord, I am struggling with getting over this. Lord, you might forgive me, but I can't, not, I, I can't stop seeing this. So what we're going to do is we're all going to identify, and that's the creative way of doing, identify with David's struggles. So when you're turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel, and we're going to do the backstory of this. Tonight, I am not going to talk about David. You say, I thought you said this, David, hashtag struggles, things like that. You're absolutely right. But what was laid on my heart about doing this is I want to explain to you the background. I'm, I'm going to take you from where David's life is, and we're going to go back this way, and we're going to look into all these things, but I want to do it from this angle. I want to do it from the angle of looking at the source of David's struggles. Because in every one of our lives, I'll tell you, if you have a struggle in your life, there's a good chance that you could go back in the history of your life and pinpoint that spot and say, that's probably where that started. That's a bad habit that I started right then. You know, I'm always late for work. Well, you had a bad habit back here of hitting the snooze or staying up too late or whatever it is. We can trace those. I want to trace some of David's history to see why he had so many uh, challenges. But why David? So why did you guys choose David? Did you guys know that there's more written about David than any other character in the entire Bible? I'll give you an illustration. Abraham has 14 chapters, who is a major part of the history of the Bible. Joseph, 14 chapters. Jacob, 11 chapters. Elijah, 10 chapters. David has 66 chapters written about him. Not counting, in the New Testament alone, 59 references in the New Testament referencing back to David in the Bible. Say, so why did he get so much? I know you guys know this. David was unique to God, and God highlighted him in a sense because David, according to Acts 13, 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up them, David, to be their king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. God looked at David and said, I'll tell you, there's something about him. And this is what I love about it. David in the New Testament, his history and his life was over. You guys get that? over. We're not in the Old Testament looking at, in the New Testament, the New Testament calls David a man after God's own heart. You guys know where I'm going with this. David wasn't remembered for his failures. David was remembered for his heart for God. That, that's the beauty of it. Because it could have been David, the man that messed up, or David that had issues, or David that fell on his face. No, David, let me tell you, I found the son of Jesse, a, man, a young man after my own heart. There's something to be said about your life pleasing God when it's right here in the heart. That's why the, the, the theme of Deuteronomy, Old Testament, and the New Testament with teaching of Jesus, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and might. That's why we teach that all the time. That is a requirement. That's what God asks us, to have passion and love for God 
true love for right, uh, to do right, true love and passion for God. So we're going to look at the source of these struggles, the biblical history behind it, okay? And I'm going to look at three things that I want you to see in the background that led to David's struggles. All of our struggles will begin with, a lot of times, with some of these things that we're going to look at that we'll identify. So who was, just to give you guys, pull you guys in this, who was the king before David? Who was the king before Saul? It's not true. It was God. And I know you guys are right in the sense you're saying there was, God was. There was God was the king. And we're going we're to realize that what was going on with, with this, and we say that God anointed David, that anointing David was not God's original plan. And I, I explain this as we go into this. Before the time of the kings, there was the time of the judges. That's why we have the book of Judges. Then we go into Ruth, those short chapters. And then from Ruth, we roll right into 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel kicks off the kings. During the time of the judges, the judges were used by God. Now, here's the difference between judges and kings. Judges were men appointed by God to be messengers of the message of God to the people to address God's authority, not man's authority. You guys get that? So God would appoint Gideon, pull up Gideon. He he appointed Ehud. He pulled out even Samson. That these different men of God go over there and tell them, you are doing wrong, turn your hearts back to God. But during those times, that's 400 years, during the times of the judges, during that time, that all they did was point back to God. Now, in man's desire, they would sit there and say, oh, we love what you're doing. Why don't you be our king? Let me show you. Even um, some of this, um, oh, I jumped ahead of myself. So during this time of the judges, they, they got upset. They, 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 the people that were upset because things got off track. Let me show you. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And the sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, after, and took bribes and perverted judgments. Samuel, one of the most godly men that we know in the Bible, one of the God's representatives, spoke the truth. Man, we see nothing but good from that. He turns around and he starts appointing his sons to be judges. Let me tell you guys what's wrong with this. The one that was supposed to appoint judges to represent the people was God. From the very beginning, man starts doing what they feel like is right in their own eyes. Anytime we start stepping over God's system for that, same way today, mom and dads do not call their children into ministry. God calls children into ministry. It cannot be reversed with this. It must be God. Samuel sits there and says, man, I want the best for my kids. You can imagine. Here, you guys have the job. Well, what did they do? They didn't have a heart for it whatsoever. It wasn't of God. It was of man. They start turning around and they start turning it into a business and they start pulling people in the wrong direction. Do you know what happens in the people? Watch this, a chain reaction. This isn't going well. This isn't right. We can't even go to the judges to hear what God wants. Their hearts are wicked and far from God. We need something better. Oh, we need what the other nations have. We need a king. We, we start to see this chain reaction that starts with man disobeying God. And Samuel, in his mind, was justified of doing right. I think these are good things. It's amazing. Let me just give a sidebar. Isn't it amazing how we can be so blinded to our own kids? 
Somebody that knew right from wrong or whatever. And he raises up his own children to do this. And it was obvious that they were not right with God to be able to do it. The problems begin to, to, to come. The response of the people, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel to Ramah. And he said to him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Here it is. That sin, that problem, that not relying on God, doing it our own way, led them now to, we need a leader. Chain reaction. You realize that a lot of the struggles that we have in our nation today, or you have in your family today, could be traced back when somewhere in your history you begin to step over God's ways. Chain reaction happens. Now we have them rejecting these judges. Let me give you an example. This is where I was going a minute ago. In Judges chapter 8, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, here's Gideon ruling. Rule thou over us, both thou and thy sons, and thy sons' sons also. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. Listen to Gideon's response. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my sons rule over you. Listen to this. The Lord shall rule over you. That was God's plan. Back in there, it's always been where the judges were like, hey, don't look to us. It must be God. Hey, guys, stop. Look to God. It's all about God. God is your ruler. God is your judge. I am just the messenger. If it would have stayed that way, it would have worked. So here it goes, the children of Israel getting sick of that way of doing it God's ways. First Samuel uh, chapter 8, verse 6. But the king displeased, but the thing displeased Samuel. And they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, they have rejected me. And that sums it up. God was saying, I am their king. I know what's best. I will rule over them. They are rejecting me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me, served other gods, so do they also unto thee. They were asking for something that was not God's plan. You guys got to understand something. God is the one that keeps us on track. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. and Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. When we sit there and all of a sudden we push God as no longer being our guide in our lives and we begin to do, we're going to get way off track really fast. That goes in every area of of our lives. So now let's count down. Let me show you the three struggles that we're going to find or the source of these struggles. Number one, beginning to have struggles in our life. We have struggles in our life by stepping out of the will of God. By stepping out of the will of God. And I'm going to walk you straight through Scripture and show you this. So we, we understand two different things in Scripture. There is the perfect will of God. All right, what was the perfect will of God in this story right here? The perfect will of God was that they submitted to God and they said, no, God, you are king. Now, what we're about to see is they end up having Saul and David and Solomon, and it goes through all the other leaders. That's the permissive will of God, which literally meaning that God allowed it, but it wasn't what God wanted. I'm going to show you guys through this that a lot of people today have struggles in their life because they have stepped out of what God planned for their life to do what they wanted in their life. And there is a big difference. 
So watch what happens in this. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 9. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of king that shall reign over them. So this is cool. Man, we serve a God of mercy. You can imagine, Samuel goes up to God and says, God, they still want this king. They don't want the judges anymore. And God's up there saying, that's because you ruined that. You did your own thing. Lord, what am I supposed to do? And God, in his mercy, looks down at Samuel and says, go tell them. I want you to explain to them and warn them now what they're going to get if they reject me as their king. Because our God is a perfect king. Our God keeps us on track. Our God only wants what's good for us. Our God is not about doing things for himself. And I, I don't take this. God is not a selfish God like the kings that they united were. They, they wanted kings that were going to build up their kingdoms rather than do things for them. So God warns them. So read with this. As we read in chapter 8, verses 10 through 18, notice all the times that God says and describes this is what he will do. Listen to this. God says, you can choose that. I, I, obviously, we have a free will. But I'm going to tell you now, if you choose to go this way, this is what you're going to get. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that ask of a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. Let me give you a full description. He will take your sons and appoint them over himself. For his chariots to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties, and will set them to ear to his um, ground, and to reap his harvest, to make his instruments of war and instruments of chariots. He will take your daughters of confectionaries, and to be cooks, and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, <clears throat> even the best of them, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed in the vineyard and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your men servants, your maid servants, your goodliest young men, your asses, and put, put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in that day because your king, which you have chosen, you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Is that clear? You know, you know how specific God's saying? Tell them right now, if they reject me, a God that takes care of them, a God of provision, a God that pours out blessings to them, and they choose to go their own way, they will become his servants. They will fight every battle that he creates in his flesh. They will turn around and build up his kingdom, build his empire, take care of his grounds, cook his food. It's all going to be serving him because man is selfish in his heart. Do not go that way. Please, please, God's warning them. It's not what I want. It's not what's best for you. Do you know how often we know right from wrong in our hearts? And we choose to do what our flesh wants anyways. Notice it says, he will take, he will take, he will take, he will take. He will take, he will take, he will take. If you were underlining through that over and over again, let me put it this way. Struggles are coming, struggles are coming, struggles are coming, struggles are coming over and over again. There was a way that seemeth right unto a man, and the end is destruction. God's, and here's, here's the thing. Go ahead and start reading through Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings. Second Kings, you know what you're going to find? War, division, I mean rape, people burned, cities destroyed, all of this stuff. Why? 
Because man rose up as being leaders and they began to go fight. And that's what God said. No, 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 no. I can see. Isn't it amazing that God already knows what's going to happen? He already knows what's down the road. He can already see it. He's already there. That's why God's warning them. Well, what do you think their response was? God warns them again, verse 18. And you shall cry out in that day because your king, which you shall have chosen you. Even the word chosen, do you guys get that? You have a choice. We have free will. In every one of our lives, you have a choice to either follow God's way or a choice to do your own thing. God does not make us. God does not force us. We're, we're to follow him. We're able to choose that from the very beginning. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and placed the tree there and said, do not eat. You have a choice. You eat of it. There's consequences, but you have a choice. I can be your God. You can walk in fellowship, but you have a choice. Today in our life, we have a choice to obey the word of God. Today in our life, we have the choice to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. God warns us of the consequences that come on the other side. God was warning them. Can I make some application here? Here's the thing. A lot of people have struggles today because they have stepped out of the will of God. They married the wrong person even though they knew it was wrong from the very beginning. You know, when you have a young person that comes to you and you warn them and saying, hey, listen, that guy is not a good guy. He does not follow after God. He's, you have a hard time keeping him in church. He does it. He, he has no pure thoughts about him. You're warned by your friends. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. You know that he doesn't spiritually edify. <clears throat> well, I can change and I feel like he's a good guy and all this other stuff. You know what you're doing? You're hearing all the warnings of what God said. And God's saying, Here's, I've got another person down the road for you. I will take care of you. But in the permissive will of God, God allows us to do this. So many struggles that happen. So many problems. Finances. I, I can tell you in my own life, and I've told you guys a story before about us in Jacksonville. We wrecked our car, needed another car, walked into a car lot. Man, if you ever are just really wanting a car, you walk into a car lot. It's not an easy, it's not a hard thing for them to sell you on a car. You know, we, we get in this car, and it has these cup holders, and it, it was one of the coolest things. It had, it had all these cool features inside of it. It had oscillating um, vents. The vents actually went back and forth. I mean, I was like, this is awesome. You know, here we are, go back into the financial office. And they said, well, we thought we could get you this rate, but it's actually going to be more like this. And the bill keeps climbing up. And then we turn around and say, well, if you walk out today, uh, we're not going to be able to give you this. Tomorrow. You guys know all the spiel. And, they, and before long, you're walking out, you got this gut feeling like, is this the right thing to do? I don't know, babe. Oh, I love the car. I know I love the car too. But before long, you're doing it. It's not God at all. It's our flesh. And you guys know what I'm talking about. And it's not like we sit there and say, did you pray about it? Lord, if it's not your will, shut the door. And God says, well, I sent them back in there and said, you didn't get approved for the cheaper loan. I sent them back in there and said, the price is going up. I went back in there and told them, they said, God, God said, I yelled three times. You, you still kick the, you know what we do spiritually? Lord, please do this. Lord, open the door. And God doesn't open the door. And like, oh, look at God open the door. Seriously, that's what we do all the time. I, I've counseled young couples and I'm sitting there going, this is not a good thing. And I, I'm not saying that I'm a, you know, master love guru that knows everything about everybody's relationship. But when you see a guy that's sitting there and counseling and he's slumped down and he's falling asleep and he doesn't open his Bible and we're trying to do the studies and you can't get him to go to church and, oh, he's just, no, get away from him. 
Marriage is not a ministry. God doesn't call you to get into ministry to change the guy. And we have these struggles in our life, financial, personal, marital, and everything else, because we kick open and ignore the, 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 the warnings of God. Happens all the time. All the time. Samuel goes to God, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Man, I, I thank God it goes the other way as well. I dated a girl when I was like 18, 19 years old in that range, right before, the year before I went off to college. And I dated this girl, and she was a pastor's daughter. I mean, she was, she was a good girl. Everybody around me was like, Tony, she's not the girl for you. And I'm, I'm blinded. This is my first real relationship. I'm so blinded to this. But I don't want to break up, and I don't know. I can make it work. And, you know, she, anyways, <laughs> I'm afraid to say, t- she ended up kissing my brother, okay? Not Dave, Denny. <laughs> And I mean, this girl was bad news, and, and anyways, this long story and things like that. And eventually, God had to literally just go in and say, you dummy, get out of this relationship. She's, she's not good for you. It's not this. I'm, I, I've got a calling for your life. And finally, I, I, I knew, and I just said, you know what? I've got to get out of this, and I shut the door and all this. Within like three months, I met a girl named Jenny. And my whole life changed. And I look back at my life now of those two directions, and thank God I was, I was smart enough or God was just mercy enough to literally, you know, do something crazy to be like, are you getting the message now for me to go over here to the plan that God had? And let me tell you, 20 years of marriage, I did not make a mistake in the person that I married. I am happy. I am fulfilled. I am in love. I love every day of it. I don't have regrets. But let me tell you over here, it's not that God doesn't show grace. And you know, you, you get in those relationships, but then all of a sudden, if, if it's a baby out of wedlock or constantly struggling and all the things, you know what I'm talking about? Those relationships you struggle, struggle, struggle all the time. You say, is God just picking on me? No, God comes back and says, oh, I tried really, really hard. I warned you over and over and again. You did this. You did this. Let me show you this. This is, you say, I, what do you mean? The perfect will and permissive will. Let me show you this. Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Okay, and we we would think that God would just say, shut the door. I said no, and no, that's not what he does. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us that we may also be like all the other nations. That our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. Okay, They, they kick open the door. That's God shut the door. God warns them. They go, you know, kick the door up. Verse 21. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them before the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, listen to this. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, go ye every man unto his city. God steps back and says, go for it. Go for it. You say, well, I was dating that person. God didn't shut the door. I, I, I was trying to get that house, and eventually you, you went to bank number 25 to get finances. Oh, God, answer prayer. And God was like, yeah. It's not the same. We all know it. We've all been there. Situations right now are flashing in your head and your mind. You know it. You went on another path. You want to know how long this path is? It's still going on today. 
That path where God would have been the God of Israel goes from the perfect will to the permissive will. Why? Because we have free will. Because God does show mercy. And I'll tell you, in that, God does show mercy and God shows grace. Even when they had a sorry loser leader in Saul, God raises up David. Now remember, it should have been God as their God. David was grace. That's what it was. David was grace. All these things that was there was God just saying, even in the midst of your problem and you're rejecting me and everything else, God was showing them grace. And God was, uh, he was told to fulfill what, what they had requested and where, what did they get from all their kings? They got struggles. Don't blame God for it. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now there was a man of Benjamin. And it tells us, and goes through it, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and goodly. And there was not a, among them the children of Israel goodlier than the person than he. For he was shoulders and upward. He was higher than any of the other people. Now I want you guys to notice in their eyes, he had the look. You know, he's like, that's what we want. We want somebody when he marches in that the other nations say, wow, he's a mighty king. Which is crazy. When God ends up choosing, what ends up happening? They get this scrawny little runt that runs out there, you know, red-haired boy that wasn't even considered by his own father to be a candidate that ends up slaying the giant becoming there because of his heart. So here we have it. We transition into the next one. And the next one, notice what happens, verse 14. And they went up into the city, and when they were come to the city, behold, Samuel came out against them for to, for to go up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be the captain over the people of Israel that he may save my people out of the hands of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because of their cry is come unto me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I have spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. Now notice how Saul begins. Now before you sit there and say, Saul comes in and is like, it's all about me, 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 me. No, it wasn't. It started off good. You know what I'm saying? It's the honeymoon stage. It's like, this isn't so bad. You know what I'm saying? You get married. My parents told me this was going to be horrible, but we're in love until the first fight, to the first time that he throws something, runs out the door. Verse 21, and Saul answered and said, am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family the least of all the families of the tribes of Benjamin? Wherefore then speak thou so to me. He's like, guys, I don't even deserve this. Who am I? Isn't it funny how, just flip a couple of chapters, and this is not the guy we read of later. He's up there, jealous, trying to kill David, this boy, and running him down because he's jealous. Yeah, it goes way, way, way the other way. 1 Samuel 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Now remember, the permissive will of God. Number two, we have struggles from just pure disobedience. I'll go faster and we'll finish this up. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 17, we skip forward a little bit in the story. And now we find Saul in action. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee over king of Israel. 
And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy. If I can help you guys out with something that's going to greatly prove my point with this, you need to underline the words utterly destroy in your Bible. Okay, and I'm going to bring you to the close of this with this. Utterly destroy. Could you get more specific? Annihilate. And, and you know the word. Thank you. Destroy. Completely abolish. Leave nothing left. Literally smash into pieces. Okay? That's what he's saying. I know what I'm saying. This is your instructions. Go in. Destroy. Demolish. The sinners of the Amalekites. Make note of that, Amalekites. Who are we talking about? The Amalekites. Who are the enemy? The Amalekites. Who did God say to eliminate? The Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. God is clear. Wherefore then, dost thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but dost fly upon the spoil and dost evil in the sight of the Lord. So God's rebuking him. So we're a little bit further in the story. And God goes to him and says, didn't I give you the first instructions? You're to go in there. You're to do the, 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 what God's telling you to do and eliminate the people? And Saul responds and says, well, we thought it would be good to not destroy everything. We thought it'd be good to, to, to save the king alive, and we thought it would be okay if we took some of the best of the spoil and offer them unto you. You know what's happening right there? Unlike the, the judges that were sitting there, thus saith the Lord, the, judges, the kings now rose up saying, you know what, I'll start calling the shots now. I have a plan. And God's saying, that's not my plan. Hey, I'm in charge now. That's what's going on. Anytime we build ourselves up in our lives to think that we can trump or over, overlook or not obey the things that God has said, let me tell you, struggles are coming in your life. Promise, guarantee. They are coming. 1 Samuel 15, 20, And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord has sent me, and brought Agag, the king, out of the Amalek, and if I utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil. Now here's what he does. This is great king, right? Turn around and says, It wasn't my fault. It was their fault. And God says, No, you're not getting it. You are the leader. You're the one accountable. It is your job. And God says in this, in the end of verse 22, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. You don't understand. There is one option in your life. When God says to do something, he knows what he's talking about. Obey, obey, obey. Let me tell our generation right now. There's a lot of things that God has said is right and wrong in his word. We have one option in our lives. If we do not want struggles down the road, you obey, you obey, you obey. That's it. I don't care if our culture changes. And I know we have situations where now it's a big thing for people to sit there and like, well, we think we're loved, but we're going to try it out for a while. And so they shack up and they move in with each other and they cohabitate and all this other stuff. Let me tell you, that's not God's way. Well, it feels so right. And I don't know what else to do. Da, 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 and all these things. I'll, let me tell you what's going to come from that. Struggle, struggle, struggle. Because you know why? Because God said no. I can take you to story after story and principle after principle in God's word that God says this is the way that it's to be. You're to give of your money. God is to come first. You take your money off the top. First fruits. You give it to God. If you don't, trouble's going to come. Why? The preeminence of God. God is number one. God is the beginning. God is the end. You put nothing before God. Not anything in your time. Not anything in your household. Not anything of sports. God is first in your finances. God is first in your time. God is first in your life. We sit there and we jumble that up and we don't have time for God. And then we have struggle, struggle, struggle. Why? God said, let me tell you. I told you. I am first. I come first. 
You want blessings in your life? You don't want struggles? Put God first. It's the only option that you have. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. You know what God says? I'll take care of it. Because our money is his money and our business is his business. And we put his business first. He takes care of our business. I could go on and on and on with illustration, but let me just tell you now, the basic principle is this. God has given us specific rules to follow. If you step over them and do your own thing, you reap what you sow. Now, the thing about reaping and sowing is when you disobey God, it doesn't always happen right away. Reaping and sowing was God's principle, okay? You don't throw grass seed on the ground and turn around and say, oh, that wasn't that bad. God God said that was going to come back to get me. No, you give it three or four weeks, and all of a sudden you go, oh, what's that? God said, I told you, you reap what you sow. A lot of the sins that we're sowing right now, we're not going to get right now until one day when we have our kids and all of a sudden we're having struggles and we're having to admit things. Or down the road, you're wanting to get married and you have to sit there and tell them that you might have some sort of disease or sexual transmitted disease. All of a sudden, you didn't think back then when you were doing that thing, it was a big deal. But it sure does come out later. Say, where do those struggles come from? God said, obey I gave you specific instructions. God says this, verse 23, for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. That's where this verse comes from. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Do you know why it is that way in scripture when God says this? Because of this, Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. Listen to this, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. God says there's only two choices. So if you turn around and you reject God and say, I'm going to do this my own way, God says if you're not living for me, you're doing it Satan's way. That's why it's called witchcraft. There's not two options. It's not your way. It's rebellion, which is the opposite of God's way, which you're literally giving yourselves over to evil. You say, man, that's extreme. Yeah, it is extreme. I'll show you how extreme it is. So we have this disobedience brings struggles in our lives. Last thing, we're done. So struggles come from stepping out of the will of God. We saw that. God very clearly said, God warns, don't do that. Struggles come when we disobey God's word. When God gives us specific instructions, we step over. It might not come right away, but I promise you, it breeds struggles. Number three, struggles come from generational sin. Have you ever thought about the life of David? Running, hiding, scared to death, trouble in his relationship. What all did David do to have most of those problems? Nothing. Do you know where they all came from? Saul. Saul's the one that threw the javelin. Saul's the one that's jealous of him. David has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. Jealousy comes in. David is a victim of Saul's jealousy. Over and over and over again, you're going to see through these, these things. It's not David. Do you guys realize that right now, let me put it with you guys. Let me put it with us. Right now, some of the, some of the things that our children are going to struggle with are not because it's their fault. Some of those things are our fault. We don't take care of things. We don't handle things. And we pass those things on to our kids. Our kids have to grow up in a house that's disorganized or anger or bitter or, or, or not faithful to church. 
So what does that do? That teaches them not to be faithful to the church. And with them not being faithful to the church, they have bad marriages and their kids aren't in church. And then now they're struggling with their kids. Why? Back here when they should have been taught by you. You be faithful. You be the leader. Why? If not, they will pay the consequences. Man, I'm, I'm on this thing. I spoke on this this morning about giving and finances and all that other stuff. It's hard. I'm, it's on my mind. Let me tell you a fear that I have for the next generation of struggling. I have a fear because we, a lot of us, man, we have it in our minds that we're not going to tithe to the church and we're not going to give and we're not going to sacrificially give and things like that. So you know what happens? Our kids aren't getting it either. I'm not going to tell my kids to give unto the Lord out of their money if I'm not giving unto the Lord out of my money. What's going to happen then is this generation is going to die off. This generation is going to move forward. They're going to grow up never knowing to give. How is the church going to continue? Boom, it starts shutting down. Why is that? Generational sin. Dad didn't do it. He didn't teach the kids to do it. And there is no church in the future. Say that's crazy. No, that's truth. If we don't teach it, if we don't show it, same thing with, with the sins that we have in our life. We sit there, we're cussing all the time. It's like, hey, daddy does that, but you don't do that. That's a bunch of junk. Don't tell your kids not to do something you do. If it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. We want them to copy us when we're doing right, but then they're going to copy everything that we do. And we pass that on, and we pass all this junk on. We wonder why. David and all the struggles that he had. So I'm going to flip forward and close out with this. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Here's David. I'm going to preview one of his struggles. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the who? How, why are they here? What in the world? They shouldn't be here. They were supposed to be utterly destroyed. Well, I think I know better and it's not that big of a deal. So they raised back up. Does it cause any problems? The Amalekites had invaded the south in Zegleg and smitten Zegleg, burned it with fire, and taken the women captive that were therein. They slew not any, either grew great or small. They carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. I'm not going to go into detail of what that entails. And David and the people that were with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Does that sound like a struggle? Does that, I, I, do, you, do you guys realize? To walk in there, to go out to battle and come back, and you find literally everything that you own burned to the ground. You go to find your kids, and you know that they've been taken. In that, in that situation, you understand why they said that they were not killed, but they were taken? Because it would have been better for them to be killed. To have been drugged off and be the slaves of the enemy. And guys, during that time, they would do things to the spouses and the kids just to spite them. And they knew that. Immoral, dirty, perverted pigs. And David's two wives were taken captives. 
Verse 6, and they were greatly distressed, and the people spake of stoning him. Okay, now, if things can't get any worse, David's over there weeping. He's broken. My wife is gone too. That's my kids, my babies, okay? They turn around and said, David, this is your fault. If we weren't out, if we would have been here, whatever. Guys, we ought to stone him. Yeah, this, this, is, this is great. Greatly dis- distressed stoning him, and because the soul of all them were grieved, and every man and his sons and his daughters, but David was encouraged, encouraged himself in the Lord. Why? Because of First Samuel 15, 3. Now go and smite the Amalekites. That was it. Let me tell you, when God says to do something, he knows best. When God says, way back over here, Saul, do what I'm asking you to do because I know you will reap, the next generation will reap what you literally sow. You literally set them up. You will, you will breed problems and agony and grief and, and, and trauma and division and fighting. Everything because of the, the choice that you made. So yes, a lot of us have struggles in our lives because number one, we step out of the will of God and God allows us to go the other way. Number two, some of us have struggled simply because we rebel against what God has said. We step over it and we reap what we sow eventually. And number three, some of the struggles that we have is generational. So we're either living it out because we had parents that did wrong and they, they threw that on us. Or right now, we're doing that and we're throwing it on the next generation. But what we're going to do now is just begin to walk through this story and experience. Because I'll tell you what was positive about that. How David, in that last part, he gets away. And the Bible says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. You're going to see that David found a way to find victory over all of his struggles.